I hope everyone's had a good weekend this weekend. Uh, as you can tell, the change of weather is having some effects on all of us right now, I think. I've done run into about three or four people that have had hoarse voices and everything over the weekend. Uh, I'm happy to tell you I don't have COVID. So uh, everybody who hears my voice right now, they're, they're looking at me like I can see them putting on their hazmat suit while I'm talking. <laughs> but we're good. We're in the clear right now. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would, turn to John chapter 3 with me. I was, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. I was uh, up last night till about midnight looking over the message. And, uh, you know, if you've ever had to speak somewhere or if the Lord's ever been dealing with you on something, you almost find it, you could tell sometimes when He wants you to go one way or the other. Because it feels like you're the little kid in the nursery trying to put like a square in the round peg hole, you know. That's what it felt like last night. I, was, I thought we were going to talk about sanctification this morning, but uh, we're going we're gonna to go a different direction this morning. And we're going to magnify Christ is what we're going to do. But we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down to 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Before we go any further, for those who might not understand what he's saying there, is he's saying that which is born of natural relations, natural birth, you're still in the flesh. There's got to be something new that's been done to you. We were talking in the back, Scotty, I, and Arvel, and a few other of the guys, and we were talking about how we look back on our life and we wonder how we ever were okay living the way we did at one time. How we were able to justify certain sins in our life and be okay with it. And me and Scotty both came to the conclusion that that's because that was our nature at that time. We were still either in the flesh or being sanctified out of the flesh. We had to be born of the Spirit, and being born of the Spirit means you are saved then, and Christ puts His Spirit inside of you that kickstarts that sanctification process within you. And if you don't know what sanctification means, it means being set apart for a special use for God. It means leaving this world little by little, or a bunch by a bunch, however God is doing it in your life, and taking hold of Him more and more. And that spirit kickstarts that sanctification process and brings about a new birth, which brings about a new man. That even though I'm still Tyler, born of Scott and Sheila, when the spirit sets in, that's my flesh. I'm now Tyler, born of Christ. And there's a new me. And this new me doesn't do the same things the old me does. Do I still struggle with it and maybe fall sometimes? Absolutely. Do I still lose my temper sometimes and maybe act like Tyler born strictly the flesh? Absolutely. But the difference is, it's not my only nature now. I've got something fighting against it that's saying you shouldn't do that. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. And again, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? He's still not getting it. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? See, this is what the Jewish people missed. They were looking for someone who was coming in to overthrow the Roman government. They were looking for someone in prophecy that was going to come in and set the Jewish people free as a nation, lead an exodus like what happened in Egypt. That's what they were looking for. But what they got was a savior and a king who was trying to turn their hearts back to the God they had left. Because, see, they had left him. They tried so hard to keep the law. 
And I know I'm kind of hitting a lot, but I want to educate this morning. I want us to be educated on the Word of God this morning. And the law he's talking about is the moral law of God that can be summed up in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Don't commit adultery. Murder. Bear false witness. Love thy neighbor. All those, all, any time when you look at the Ten Commandments, any time a sin is committed, it can be brought back to one of those Ten Commandments were failed. If you, for instance, you commit adultery. You've, one, committed adultery. And two, you've not loved your neighbor. And three, if it was a virgin, you stole their purity. Broken three right there out the gate. And then number four, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, that might not be, I know one of them is. I'm paraphrasing here. But you've also dishonored him. See what I'm saying here? But the Jews were so stuck in trying to keep the law that a lot of the Jewish leaders of the day had started abusing the law and adding more things to it. They were adding things that would be to their advantage and they were making it harder on the people to see that the law was never meant for you to keep it perfectly. Because you can't. That's the issue. You can't. Here's, your, uh, here's a sign right here. Most of us can't even keep speed limits. <laughs> that, you've heard it. That's just a suggestion. <laughs> I hope that works when you get pulled over. If we can't keep simple laws like speed limits, what makes us think we can keep the moral law of God? So they were looking still for someone not that was going to save them from their sin, but somebody that was just going to save their nation from a Roman rulership. And he says in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness, being the Trinity. And it's important that you know this in context that when Jesus is talking here, you know, people like to say Jesus was a radical. Jesus was an enemy of the state. Jesus was... Get away from those terms. Was was what he believed radical? Yes. But it was only that way because he believed the truth. And he was the truth. He was the exact embodiment of the truth. He was fully God and fully man. But when society tries to talk about Christ, they like to paint a picture that he just went against the status quo just to cause a ruckus. No, no. We're going to see why the true ruckus was caused here in just a second. It wasn't because he was just going around breaking laws. It was because he was upholding the true law. And they didn't like it. It angered them. And he says... If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one ascended into heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And can I give you all a little bit of a little side lesson here? When you hear the term Son of Man, the reason why that's so important is because in the book of Daniel, he calls when he says he sees somebody, he says one like the Son of Man. So when Christ calls himself the Son of Man, he's referencing and doing a callback to Daniel. And the people of the day would know this. Why do I tell you that this morning? Because Islam will try to debate this and say that he's just calling himself a man. And no, he's not. He's calling himself exactly what Daniel referenced, God. The Son of Man. Because one of the first questions you'll hear is, where does, God, where does Jesus say He's God? Here's one. Read the book of Daniel when He prophesies about seeing the Son of Man and then for Christ to come in and say that, who is the Son of Man? He was putting His neck out there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I hope you're okay with me stopping and teaching you guys these things this morning. The reason why He said this is because if you remember in the Old Testament, Israel disobeyed. And what happened? God sent in them snakes, bit them, infected them. But what did God do? See, we look at that and, and people will try to say, yeah, but the God of the Old Testament's mean. We don't like the Old Testament. And all of a sudden they think that Christ came and he went through anger management courses and he's better now. No. That's, that's, not, that's not how it works. 
we said it back here this morning. Everything, if God, since God is creator, that means that he is the embodiment of everything. Everything flows from him. Wisdom, knowledge, perfection, goodness, glory, everything flows from him. Why? Because he's the creator of it. He's the embodiment of it. So that means he is the exact personification of wisdom, right? And if he is all wise, he's not going to do something for nothing. He's not going to do something for nothing. So when he sent the snakes in, not only did he send them in there to attack them, he also provided a way out. And this was to show what he was going to do through his son on the cross. And he told Moses, he said, what I want you to do is go make this bronze serpent and I want you to put it on this pole, on this stake or cross for some people. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go in front of the people now that they've been bitten by the snake and I want you to hold it up for all to see. And I want you to tell them that all who look on this, they'll be healed of this disease if they look on this snake. Isn't it amazing that the word says that Christ became sin and God used a snake, which was what bit them, to be the thing that would rescue them? And the word says that God, he who knew no sin, became sin for us. Do you see the picture that God was painting there? He didn't do it without providing a way out, and that way out was pointing ahead to Christ. It's important when we read the Old Testament that it's always, there's the thread running through there and it's always pointing to Christ. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And this is God. Again, he's referencing himself as the Holy One. He's saying, that was me actually. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I think sometimes we, we overlook this that at Christmas that Christ came as a baby in a manger, but he came to die. It didn't catch him off guard. This was not something that he got 30-something years of age and God said, oh, by the way, you need to die. It's not how it worked. We magnify the babe in a manger, but we don't realize that babe was born to die for the sins of the world. I was at a Christmas service, and it was pretty neat. The, the preacher got up. It was, it was, uh, it was beautiful, and, and there was a manger up front, but behind it was a cross, and he got up to speak, and he said, I was kind of amazed. He said, as I looked at the manger, all I could see was the cross behind it. Because that's what he came for. He didn't come just, again, he didn't come just to be a radical. He didn't come to be opposed to the government. Render under Caesar's, under, under Caesar's what is Caesar's. He was not here to overthrow the Roman government and make some big ruckus. He was here to die. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, in society, we hate this part. We hate to think that God would ever send someone to hell, but we love to forget that he would ever provide a way out through his son. Because in society, we like to think we're better than we are. And the fact of the matter is, you're worse than you are. We all are. You say, Tyler, I don't think I am. Let's just... Let's just look at our thoughts for the week. How many of you would be okay with your thoughts being heard in front of this congregation this week or played on this screen? <coughs> Charles Spurgeon once said, and you know I reference Spurgeon a lot, you know there's certain preachers you just gravitate to, and that's, that's, that's one of mine. He said, guard your thoughts always because those are heard in heaven. It's a serious thing to know that even though the people in front of me might not hear my thoughts, God sees them as soon as they enter my mind. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because one thing we need to understand in here is that God demands perfection. 
But what did I say earlier? We're imperfect beings. The Jews didn't understand this. They thought they had it all together. They thought they were keeping the law. They thought they could do it. Paul says in Romans that they have a zeal for God. They want to know God, but it ain't based on knowledge. It's not based on truth. They have a zeal for their own perfection, but it's not based on the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Because if you saw what was inside of you every day, it's not hard to realize we need something outside of ourselves to save us. Amen? It's not hard when on my my job, when I'm going in dealing with several different people, some great, some a thorn in my side. And I still got to keep the mind of Christ. That's kind of hard. When somebody's Jewing me down for a nickel. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I work in sales. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is telling Nicodemus what he came for. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, the world wants to teach you that Christ came and, and he's condemning. But here's the thing. Christ didn't come to condemn on the first one. Notice I said on the first one. On his first coming, he came to do what? Luke 19.10 tells us he came to seek and save that which was lost. That's what he came to do. And he's seeking. And even now, he's seeking to save that which is lost. But unfortunately, for those who miss it, if you reject him as the lamb, you will have to face him as the lion one day. And that's a reality we don't want to talk about. Because every day we reject so great a salvation. Notice I said we reject. We're trampling his gift to us. We're saying it was for nothing. I don't regard it. I don't need it. It breaks my heart when I'm talking to people and I'm trying to explain to them the love that God has for them that by sending his son, and the response I get is, why did I need someone to die for me? Again, if God is since God, I hate when I say if. Sometimes I have to say if because I talk to people who don't believe and we debate back and forth. And sometimes I'll say, okay, well, if God exists in your mind. But I'm around brothers and sisters, so since God believes or it exists, we must understand that he gets to make the call. And he has said that when sin happens, it requires blood. And see, the reason why... He required the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was not because he was grotesque, but it's because sin is. And he wanted the people to know every time they came in to give an offering how serious sin is and how serious he takes sin. That it's not something to be taken flippantly. That it's not something that we say... I'm going to do this and ask for forgiveness later. No, don't. Whatever you do, if that thought enters your mind, please reject it at all costs. Run to the Word if that thought enters your mind. Because I can tell you this, it is not God. It is not God. But on the flip side, even though He took sin so serious, He took His love even further and sent His Son to walk the walk we couldn't walk, talk the talk we couldn't talk, and die the death we deserved, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes in Him is not condemned. We're going to circle back around to that. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You are condemned in yourself if you refuse to believe this. Andrew Vaughn once said something to me one time. He said, it's like, almost like there's a glass of water in a desert and it's sitting there and, and, and preachers are throwing the water out every Sunday and people aren't taking it. They're not taking it. And then when they stand before God, they're going to say, but God, why would you say, well, you're such a loving God. And he said, I am. So much so that on January the 8th, Tyler was throwing a bottle of water your way and you didn't take it.
But he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. You see what you've done. See, it's so much deeper than to just say, I didn't believe. And this is what I see in the world every day. This is what I see when I'm talking to people and I'm trying to tell them about the love of Christ and we're trying to talk about the gospel and the word. And, and when they try to reject Christ, it's, they're not just rejecting Christ. They're saying they don't need him. They're saying, I'm not that bad. And, I'm, and, and it's so hard to reason with people because I was once one of them. I was once one who said, I'm not that bad. Why do I need a Savior? And that's the ultimate battle you, we, you and I fight and people fight on a daily basis is realizing we are that bad. Because the second we think we're not, that's the second we say what Christ did was irrelevant. And when we reject the only Son of God, we are literally making a statement to God and shaking our fists and saying, I don't need your son. I'm good enough. And this is the condemnation. Now, before I read this scripture, I want you all to hear this. This shows the true heart of why somebody rejects right here. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. See, we use it as a cloak to say, I'm not that bad. Or we like to say, I don't have to do that. But really, Christ cuts right to the heart of the matter right there. And he's saying, but what it really is, is you don't want the light. You want your darkness. That's the crux of it. What did, what did, what did they say? I believe it's James that when you're drawn away and tempted, you're tempted by what? Your own fleshly desires. He doesn't say God's tossing it out there to you. You're tempted by your own desires. And in those moments of temptation, you're faced with a choice. Do I want God or do I want this more right now? What do I want the most? And that's exactly what's happening in the world today. People are saying, well, I just don't believe in this and I don't like this and I don't like that about your God. But what it really boils down to is they don't like the standard he's giving. Just like the Jews didn't like the standard he was giving. When Christ was telling them, look, Christ was this blunt with them. He said, look, harlots and people are going to enter the kingdom of heaven before you do. And it wasn't because they, it was because they refused to see, one, that they were a sinner, and two, he knew in their hearts that they really just didn't want to give up their position of status. How many of us in here live our lives like that every day? We say, I'm really not that bad though, God. I say it all the time whenever God's convicted me to let go of something in my life. And I say, yeah, but God, you know, it's, you let, you let Scotty do it. And I'm not talking, no, 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 not a sin. No, let me, huh. let me, let me, let me give you some context here, okay? Reel it back in. Reel it back in. Y'all ready for context? The Bible teaches that there are some sins that are sins for others and not for some. It teaches us that there are some things, <clears throat> for instance, now I'm not talking about uh, adultery is a sin for some and not for others. I'm not saying having multiple wives is a sin for some and not for others. I'm not saying stuff like that. Those are the pretty blatant cut and dry. Those are sins. What I'm talking about is things like when God may be convicting some people of, hey, uh, I get you're not getting drunk, but you don't need to drink anymore. Because the Bible doesn't condemn drinking. It does condemn the excess of it. And I meet people all the time that they can have a beer and they're fine. They're good. They can have one and they're good. I could have one and be good, but I live with this conviction that God has convicted me that, Tyler, you are work in a church, okay? You stand up and preach. What are people going to think if they see you toss one back? You're going to ruin your witness. Again, that's God's conviction on me. That might not be his conviction on you, but I will say this. I tell anybody this that asks me this about drinking, but just because I say the Bible doesn't condemn it, and you need to pray and make sure he's not convicting you of it, though. For instance, some people... They can sit down. I've, had this, I've made this statement before. Some people can sit down and watch a game of football. 
and it's not a sin for them. But if you're like me, where sports was a God for so long, I get to watch a game here and there, but for the most part, God has convicted me most of the time, hey, it ain't all about football. So go do something productive instead of watch a game right now. That's my conviction. Do I still watch it from time to time? Absolutely. But I used to watch it every week. I think I, one of the games I watched was because I was at the game. <laughs> Had no choice. I wasn't going to pull up Hulu on my phone and watch Desperate Housewives or anything. <laughs> Which you shouldn't watch that anyways. You want to talk about destroying the family unit. <laughs> yeah. But the crux of it is this. What it boils down to is this. When we reject Christ, the honest answer for being honest is we don't want to give up that thing he's telling us to. We secretly love that darkness more than the light. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that every time temptation comes my way that I just sit under the glory of God and I say, Lord, I don't want those things. You love me so much, I don't want No, there's days where temptation hits me hard enough, i got to go in my car and i got to go ride. Temptation hits me hard enough that I, sometimes i just got to leave my house and go exercise. But bar none, when temptation hits, if I don't throw myself in this book right here, Tyler's going to commit that thing he's trying to trying to fight against. And that's what you see in the world today. They're trying to scatter, they're trying to drag Christ's name through the mud and they're trying to justify this sin and that sin. And they're trying to say, yeah, but God loves you. And it's, He does love people, don't get me wrong. But the issue is not on His side, it's on yours. You don't love Him. You love the reward. You love the thought of going to heaven but you don't love it enough to give up your sin. Now granted, I understand sanctification is 100% a process. I know you're not going to wake up tomorrow and be a perfect person, okay? But I do know this, that every day God deals with us on something to give up. And eventually, Scotty and I talked about it this morning, eventually you should reach a point where something happens and you step back and go, that used to control me and it doesn't anymore. That used to be a hindrance in my life and it's not anymore. And maybe some of you right now, you're feeling really guilty about things. That's grace. The fact that you're feeling convicted on your sin is grace. That is God. That is Christ trying to draw that thing out of you. Listen to it. Don't run from it. Don't let the devil trip you up and say, yeah, you are pretty daggum bad, so why don't you just give up? Don't do that. Let me tell you something. The flesh does not generate thoughts of repentance. That's one thing we need to know right out the gate. We, get the, we really confuse the spirit with the flesh and the flesh with the spirit a lot of times. Sometimes we'll get so excited about something, the spirit telling us no that our excitement overrides the spirit and we jump into it and we go, God, why'd you do this? And he's going... <laughs> kind of like Abraham when he got with Hagar, created Ishmael. And God's going, I gave you a promise. And you still went and tried to do it yourself. And guess who's a thorn in Israel's side to this day? Descendants of Ishmael. Don't you love how history supports the Bible? If you don't do studies like that, you should. If you don't study apologetics when it comes to the Bible and historical evidence for it, you should because it's out there. And the sad thing is we're living in a country where they're snatching resources left and right. You know how they're doing it? Through your iPads, through your phones. I believe fully, and I probably said this last time, I believe fully smart technology is the modern day burning of the books. Because they're not going out and setting a fire to them right in front of you. They're just not letting you get them on your phones because that's the only thing you're going to use. Don't be afraid to go and dust that book off the shelf and read it. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing, this is that sanctification process, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should expose. So Christ is actually expounding even more on it. He's saying, you won't come to the light because you don't want it to be known that what you're doing is a sin, period. 
And anyone who practices evil, and if you know the definition of practice, it means to apply daily to get better at. Like a sport. You practice at a sport, right? To get better at it because you enjoy it. Nobody really just, especially when you reach my age where you're 30 and it feels like your joints hurt every time you go exercise. You don't go do a sport or practice a sport without wanting to be good at it, right? Because I sure don't have a coach forcing me to do it. And I dang sure don't have a paycheck coming in paying me for it. So I must be doing it for some reason. So anyone who practices evil, as in you are applying it every day without any restraint. It's what you know. It's what you do without anything trying to stop you. Hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That what he's doing is a sin. And let me just say, I know it's hard sometimes. I'm not here being crass. I'm not here trying to be cutthroat. I'm just here trying to tell the truth because the truth, I feel like I say the same message every time I'm up here, but it's because when I read this word, there might be a false idea that Tyler, because he speaks, when I read the word, I just get these Paul-like revelations and, you know, it's not like that. The more I know, the worse I realize I am. The more I read the word, the more I realize my need of a Savior, And the more I read my word, the more I see, God, sometimes I really do want that darkness more than the light. And that bothers me. That bothers me when moments of temptation come on me and I feel that tug that's saying, get that. And I'm going, but it's going to cost me. Yeah, but it sure looks good. And I'd hate to say there's times where I put my hand on the stove and burn myself. I'd hate to admit that, but I have. And all it did was reveal there was an area of my life that I didn't want the light to shine in. Because in case you didn't know, when you cut lights on, darkness has to go. And everything is seen. I can take you into my house and cut the lights off and tell you, yeah, uh, Joanna Gaines decorated my whole house. Right? Because that's a dream come true for most of us in the South. She decorated my whole house, Magnolia Home. But if I never cut the lights on, you won't know that. Especially if I bring you in there at night, then you really won't know it. That's the way we approach God when we try to say, I'm good. I'm good. Look, look, me 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 and big man upstairs, we're good. You're just cutting the lights off. You're not letting the light come in and shine on you and show that you probably missed some dust in the corner, some cobwebs here. You probably need to take up your underwear you throw on the floor. I'm not trying to be little or make too light or be too funny, but but I mean, honestly, you're probably, you're refusing to cut the light on because you don't want God to see and you don't want to admit that I'm leaving some things out there that I shouldn't, that I'm doing some things that I shouldn't. And I'm here to tell you, let the light shine in your life this morning. Let Christ come in and shine in your hearts. It is always for your good. Because here's the good trade-out. Eternal life. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. He who comes to the light graciously and sometimes with reservation but over time continues to let Christ shine in his life so that it can be seen that what's been done in me What's been done in Scotty, what we talked about this morning, and and some of you in here, was not a work of my own. It was a work of God. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel and what's so opposite about the world today is everybody wants to claim work for themselves. I was listening to one of my favorite musicians a while back, and uh, he was in concert. I wasn't at the concert, but I was listening to one of his songs, and he started out. And was kind of playing his guitar. And he said, I made a lot of things happen for myself. And then he stopped and said it again. He said, I made a lot of things happen for myself. And the crowd just begins applauding him. And all I could think is, brother, maybe you did. Maybe you think you did make all that money for yourself. Maybe you did fill your life with women. Maybe you did fill your life with whatever. And you got a successful career and you've sold millions of albums. But one thing you didn't do and can't do for yourself is save yourself. And there remains this one fact. This one fact. There is a God that you've got to stand before. 
And that's why I get so mad when people say, I believe in a God and I worship him as such. I had somebody tell me that. I believe in a God, just not Christ, and I worship him as such. And I knew this person. And all I could think of, and I didn't think of it until after, you know, when you think of stuff afterwards. And I was thinking, well, explain to me how you worship him as such. And I'm not being, please understand my heart here. I'm not trying to sound judgmental. I'm just being truthful. But if you say you worship a God and you live like most of the people do, you're saying that God condones all the sin in the world. And that blows my mind. At least I can say my God has a standard. My God has morals. And if yours is a form of worship, then I can can figure out your God has zero morals. He's no more than an animal. But church, this is what I want us to see in here. Because I do feel strongly that God is getting ready to bring in a harvest of people. And as ministers of the word, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about you who are out there as well. We must be ready. We must be ready because Christ said the laborers were few. We got to be ready because he's drawing. Right now he's drawing some of you sitting in your seats right now. And he's telling you, let my light shine in your life. Don't get caught up in what the world tries to say about me. Don't get caught up in, in what the world says I am. I'm not some big enemy of the state. I'm not this. I'm not some rat. I am God in human form, and I've come to seek and save that which was lost. And I'm here to put you on my shoulders and carry you back to the Father. That was why I came. Period. For God so loved the world that instead of requiring you to die, the Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Christ, who has been from the beginning, next to the Father, could you imagine, just think about this. I think we've got to put these things into perspective. Because what, what did God say in the beginning? Let us make man in our image, right? The Trinity. So Christ is next to God. And then God says, it's time. Christ vacates his place in heaven to become a man. And not just to become a man, to be, to be a hated man. Took by his own people. And then die for those very people. Die for those that would reject him. Because what did he tell them? What did he tell Pilate? <laughs> when Pilate said, hey man, I got the power to save you. And he said, you wouldn't have it if God didn't give it to you, brother. He said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down willingly. Guys, I'm here to tell you, we have a good shepherd who is Jesus the Christ Almighty. And he has died for you and me in this place. And I pray that as we enter into 2023, that would be our our Magna Carta. That would be our thing we hold on to as we move forward. That everything we do in 2023, every way we act, every sentence we say, every, every day we wake up, we would throw ourselves again at the foot of the cross and say, it is because of you. It is because what you did on the cross. It is because he lives I can face tomorrow. It's not because of me. It's not because I did good enough. It's not because I read my Bible for 30 minutes and fasted for 40 days. It's not about any of those things. It's simply because Jesus, the Christ, died for me and calls me his own. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Lee, do you mind coming up, please? I wanted Christ to be magnified this morning because I don't know about y'all, but I have to live every day with the gospel in mind. Because if I'm not careful, one of two things will happen to me every time. Either uncontrollable, arrogant pride will come over me and I'll think that I'm worthy to be saved. Or either I'll go to the other side where I realize, man, I'm not good enough. And I'll lay there and I'll sulk and I'll just 
my, it's not uncommon for my wife to walk into the living room and say, what's the matter? And I'm just going, man, I'm not, I'm not the man I want to be. You know, I'm not the man I want to be to you most days. I'm not the man I want to be sometimes. Sometimes I'm, I walk in, I might, I'm a little lazy about grabbing my kids and reading the Bible to them like I should. But then it never fails in the middle of that. I met with the Savior. That reminds me of 1 Timothy, I believe it is, chapter 4, where he says, this is a trustworthy statement, worthy of all respect. Christ came to save sinners. And in that moment, I have to realize, God, I qualify. I'm a sinner. I sinned today, I sinned yesterday, I'm a sinner. And if that's the only qualification I need... Save me. Save me. I need you. Come in. Make me new. Make me whole. And I leave not arrogant and most time not even in despair. I leave amazed that the creator of the universe will take light of a man like me. One thing I hate about serving in the church is people get a false personification of you that you've got it all together. We don't. I don't. My wife doesn't. If you would have seen me last night at the bathtub without my voice, my kids kept messing with the faucet and my son would turn it all the way to hot. And I knew there was a delay. You know, there's that delay where it's cold and then it gets really hot. And my daughter started doing the whole, you know, when it hit her back. And I was trying to get mad and yell at them. And I finally, there's this padding on the thing. And my wife's over there on the phone, bless her heart. She's watching a YouTube video with her legs crossed on the toilet, like the toilet was down. She was, <laughs> I, do, I don't want to paint any pictures here, y'all. but she's sitting there like this on her phone and she's watching a YouTube and I'm trying to yell and it's coming out and I finally hit my hand I said I can't yell get him (laughs) and then she goes stop like that you know it's just chaos in the bathroom there's water everywhere the faucet's running my son's still reaching for it my daughter's doing this I mean the curtains are in there the curtains that's not supposed to be in there is in there It's chaos. We're human is what I'm trying to say. We're human. That's the picture I'm trying to paint here. But it never fails the fact that I know that I'm human every day. Every single day, I have to get up. And even though I don't want to read my word, I don't wake up every day wanting to read my word. There's a lot of days I'd rather get on my phone and maybe look through Facebook for a minute or just sit in the house and quiet for a minute. When the kids leave, it's nothing for me to go sit in a recliner with coffee and you think I'm just contemplating life over there, just quiet. But I know, I know in that moment I've got to throw myself at the foot of Jesus Christ because as soon as I walk out that door, the world's going to be waiting on me. The Bible says in 1 Peter that your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Far be it from me that I should walk out at least unarmed. I must, I must throw myself into the Word. And I pray today that you would realize that the very fact that you see that you're a sinner and you need a Savior qualifies you to be saved today. All you got to do is come and be saved. If He's drawing you this morning. That's all you got to do. I'm going to read this to you because I read this every time. Because some of you might say, yeah, but Tyler, how must a man be saved? By putting your faith in the finished, finished works 
of Jesus Christ. That what he did on the cross was enough to atone for your sins, past, present, and future. If you're in Christ in here and you're saying, Tyler, I just don't like, just know this, that God has already died for those sins you're going to commit tomorrow. Does that mean you should go into them willy-nilly with that attitude and disregard it? Absolutely not. If you go into it with that attitude, I question your salvation. But it's as simple as this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend. Who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss. What he's saying is don't say in your heart who's going to do this for me? Who's going to go to heaven and plead with God for me? Who's going to come and take the death for me? It's already been done. It's already been done in Jesus Christ. And he says, but what does it say? This was what Moses was trying to get the children of Israel. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. It's right there. All you got to do is speak it. And here it is. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. He's not telling you you got to come up here and balance a glass of milk on your head. He's not. What, he didn't tell the thief on the cross, I would save you, but you got to come down and do some good works first. No. That blows all religion that tries to teach a works-based salvation out of the water right there. The one man, the thief on the cross, blows it out of the water. I don't need a priest to plead for me. I don't need anyone else to go to God for me. I have a mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he stands before God advocating for me every day. You know why he has to? Because the book of Revelation says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So the whole time, now that I'm in Christ, that the devil is accusing me and telling the truth. When he says, God, look what Tyler did. Look, 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 look. look what he did. He just cussed that person out. He just got mad at his wife and yelled at her. He just blew his lid. First John tells me that I have an advocate that is standing there pleading my case who says, no, no, sir. He has faith in me. And that is atoned for the sin he just committed. And watch this. I'm sanctifying him. And one day that won't even be an issue. He's literally saying what is spoken in Zechariah chapter 3. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand that I plucked from the fire? You can't have him. What did, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? No one who comes to me will be rejected and no one can pluck him out of my hand. Yeah, but you can jump out. Sorry. No, you can't. Because right after that, he says, God who is greater than me, no one can take him out of his hand. Period. Even if the devil come with all his demons in hell and try to open the fist of God, if you're in him, they can't even move one pinky. You are his. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart one believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he came and he died on the cross and was rose on the third day. And then with the heart you believe that, and with the mouth you confess, you are Lord. And with the mouth you confess before others. When they say, who is Jesus, you boldly proclaim He is the Lord of heaven and earth, the only Son of God who came and died and rose again. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. I used to think to myself all the time, I used to think, God, what if I stand before You though and I find out I didn't make it? What if I stand before you and you say, son, I'm sorry, you just didn't make the cut. And that day I opened my Bible and went right to that scripture and it says, for whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now understand me here, church, as we get ready to close, this belief is not just a flippant word of, oh yeah, I believe. 
As I said earlier, it's not just a flippant, um, yeah, me and, me and Jesus, we're good. Me and the man of church, we're good. That's not what it's about. You've got to believe it enough to follow him. He said, unless you repent and believe, and if you're not willing to take up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. We think God's being hard there, but you and I both know we're drawn to look to the left and the right every day. And he's saying you can't. You'll be drawn away by it. He says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You've got to hold on to me. I'm your only source of life. You've got to hold on to me. I heard it put this way. The Greenville Bridge is a good example. I say that I believe that bridge will uphold me. But you don't trust me if I only sit on one side of it. Christ being the bridge between us and being made right with God, I must be willing to walk across the bridge. I must be willing to suffer as a Christian as Christ did. I must be willing to take the ridicule of the world to be made to look like a fool to the rest of the world for Christ. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's you this morning and you're in here and you're saying, I don't know if I can call on Him. You can't. You can. You can. Because if you do it genuinely, He's not going to turn you away. That's not Tyler. That's not out of the book of First Opinion. That's out of the book of Romans. Out of the Bible. He's not going to turn you away. Oh, that we would behold our great Savior this morning. We live in a world full of people that say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to do this. I had a man tell me about a week ago, and it just it shook me. He said, when I get to heaven, me and God are going to have a meeting of the minds. And I, after he finished talking, I looked at him and I said, Brother, I mean no disrespect when I say this. But the only way you'll have that conversation is if he allows it. But I think we're going to be so amazed that we're even there seeing our, the face of our Savior. We won't be thinking about that. If you would stand with me this morning.